Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, our guest today has worked in development at Cinetel, in television at Warner Brothers, and she's also written a number of features for sci-fi called Lava Lantula, Two Lava to Lantula, and Earth Catastrophe. And currently, she's uh, working on a new script in, in development with Jamie Foxx. She works for Adam Targum, and I'm pleased to have on the show Ashley O'Neill. Thanks for coming on, Ashley. Thank you for having me. The first thing we always like to ask people, how you got started in the industry and what made you want to work in the industry? Oh, God, that's such a big question. Um, yeah. Where to start? Um... You know, I wish I could say I was one of those people that always knew what she wanted to do, that she always wanted to be a writer and always wanted to be in the industry. But um, unfortunately, I'm not. (laughs) And um, actually, I come from uh, the Midwest. I come from a small town in Illinois and um, or small-ish town. And working in movies actually seemed more fantastical for me. It just kind of seemed like something that you know, being a princess or, you know, like a unicorn would be more uh, realistic. Um, So I never actually really thought about that, but um, I always knew I wanted to do something creative. Um, I mean, aside from psychology, which I think everyone kind of wants to be in psychology. Um, Once I realized that you had to do a bunch of math classes, I was like, (laughs) I was kind of out of that. Um, So then I, you know, went into creative, something creative. And um I wasn't sure what that was, but uh, I I thought about fashion, and um, I actually moved out to L.A. to go to fashion school. I went to Fitham, uh, which is downtown L.A., and uh, I quickly realized that it wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing. Um, was it the ironing? It, it was the ironing. <laughs> I hate ironing. Um, it was the ironing and the sewing. Okay. I'm not good at sewing. Um, so... But I had already moved across the country for it and invested $40,000 in it. So I finished it up. But in my last quarter, when everyone was getting internships, I started thinking, like, okay, I'm going to have this degree. Like, what can I do with it that will, I will actually, you know, like? And I thought about being a costume designer because I thought that would be really cool, you know, working in film. Um, but they don't have costume design internships. So I thought I would, you know, get in the film way and get a film internship. So um, I got an internship working at Kaplan Perone, which is a management production mm-hmm. company, and I loved it. I got to read scripts all day and tell people what I thought, give pe- people my opinion, and I'm like, this is a real job. This is amazing. <laughs> um, and from then on, I was just kind of hooked. I was already, you know, my foot was in the door. When I graduated from FITM, uh my internship boss at the time told me that he would help you know, get me a job or, you know, help, help get me a couple interviews. So he gave me the UTA list, uh, which has a bunch of jobs uh, in the industry. And I highlighted a couple. And one of them, actually, my number one choice was uh, working at Centel Films in development. And ironically, or not so, so ironically, if you know the industry, uh, he was very uh, integrated with them because his brother used to work there, uh, his really good friend works there, and then, you know, one of their clients actually used to work there. So uh, he got me the interview, and uh, I was really green. I had no experience. I hadn't gone to film school, so uh, I ended up getting hired, but my boss told me later that uh, he didn't actually want to hire me because I didn't have any experience. Um, but uh, after my interview, they gave me a chance to do coverage. Um, and, uh, 
uh, I lied and told him that I had actually done <laughs> coverage before. Don't tell him because I never told him that I told that I lied about that. But um, I quickly went home and I Googled what's coverage. Um, and I saw him like, oh, okay, it's just basically picking apart something um, and saying what's wrong with it. I could do this. It's really easy. <laughs> I'm really good at um, it. I'm really good at it. And it turns out I really was good at it. And I had these like story instincts that I never knew that I had. I was able to just know when something wasn't right. I didn't exactly know how to verbalize it or um, convey it in writing, um, but I knew how to pick it out. So that's actually what landed me the job. And um, I had worked at Cinetel for five years, but for the first three, I was working as a development assistant. And I loved it. You know, I love development. I love storytelling. I love crafting stories, coming up with ideas, creating characters. And um, I just, I knew that right then and there, that was what I wanted to do. Um, I had a, there was a huge learning curve for me, because again, like I said, I didn't go to film school. I didn't know anything about the industry, so it was very intimidating for me, um, and I had to learn on my feet. And luckily, my boss at the time, Neil, was very patient, and a, a teacher in his own right, you know, loved trying to explain, like, how things worked and, and development and everything like that, so... I did, I learned pretty quickly. Um, I was kind of thrown in very deep. Um, I did less assistant stuff and way more development stuff, which was great for me. Um, and during my time there, I actually, I, had, I got so much experience so quickly with development that um, I ended up getting a promotion to be the director of development because at that time we had so many projects in development. We actually um, did a lot of movies for the Sci-Fi Channel, like you had mentioned. Mm -hmm. And um, we were also trying to do other things, uh, more theatrical things. So at the time, my boss had to focus on that. And I had done so many of these sci-fi movies that I just kind of, I knew them backwards and forwards. So they gave me the opportunity to take on some of the projects myself. So I hired writers, you know, I, I oversaw them, I gave them notes. Um, it was I think I was 24 at the time, so it was weird because I was kind of a boss, which at the time I was very uncomfortable being, especially with a lot of these writers who knew me as the assistant. So it was challenging. And during that time I started thinking, because what I wanted to do was just go in and I wanted to do the writing. Like I had this urge I wanted to do it. So as much as I love development, I love story, I started getting this urge to just get in there and write, write the stories myself. Um, and around that time, that was when the recession happened, mm. where everyone was getting laid off. It's actually like a year or two after the recession really started hitting people hard and the industry hard. Um, so it was almost like a, a ripple effect for me. I had survived many rounds of layoffs, but um, it came time for, you know, I was kind of, we were bare bones, and I was one of the last people that, you know, we had less projects now, so I ended up getting laid off, and it ended up being perfect for me because that was when I really started exploring writing, and I, and I really took that time, and I started doing my own stuff, and that's, that's how I got into the industry. That's how I got into development, and that's kind of how I got my foot in the door with writing, which is kind of where I'm at now. And how did that um, help in terms of your work on specifically the sci-fi films like Lava Lanchula, did you, how did you transition into that? Um, that's a really interesting question because um, as much as I was writing other genres that I felt were more my thing, um, I working in development and doing these sci-fi movies, like I said before, like I knew them 
backwards and forwards, which is, I mean, it sounds strange to be like, they're very hard movies, but they, they are. They're very difficult because they're such a, it's such a small niche and, you know, the budget's fairly low. Um, you have to make the network happy as well as making, you know, our foreign buyers happy, making it something that the majority of the, you know, international buyer, buyers would want. Um, and then just, you know, all the little things that we could do on our budget, which not very many people understand. Mm -hmm. And having worked um, not just with the sci-fi movies, but in development and just kind of knowing the process so well, that is what not only propelled me to, I think, be the, the type of writer that I am right now, which is um, I'm very objective with my own writing because I, I can see it from a writer's point of view and a development exec's point of view. Um, but also specifically with the sci-fi stuff is that I was one of the very few people who could just kind of get how it works and, and run with it and get it done in the time that it needed to be done by because, you know, the, the, the turnaround is, is very quickly. You know, mm -hmm. you, you have an idea and within a couple months you're shooting the film. Right. Um, so I think that that helped me a lot um, in, a, in a very unique and, and interesting way. Well, I think that in, I wanted to... I want to dive in more to the sci-fi script sort of structure in mm -hmm. terms of, like you were talking about, certain things you can get away with, certain things you can't because of the buyers, because of you know, all these things, budget issues. Right. But first, I wanted to mention, it, I think it's cool that you have a produced credit. I mean, I know, there are, well, I know plenty of writers who have been in the business a long time, and they may have ghostwritten on scripts or mm. written on a script but not gotten screen credit for whatever sure. reason because they didn't write over 51% and yeah. whatever, who are established in the business, have had their names in the trades, have uh, sold scripts but never had a produced credit. So I think that that's super cool. Um, and again, it's something that you know not every writer, even paid working writers can say, which right. is kind of crazy. It is, and, and people remind me of that a lot because writing sci-fi is not my genre, or at least it didn't start out being my genre. Um, and the, the movies are, I mean, I don't want to say they're tongue-in-cheek. There's comedy in there. Um, and we know what we're writing. We sure. know that these are, you know, low-budget sci-fi movies for Sci-Fi Channel. Um, you have to have a lot of fun with it, and you have to remember what you're making. And so at first, it was kind of one of those things where it's kind of like, sure, you know, yeah, I'm writing something, but it's nothing big. But then I took a step back because people reminded me that it is a big deal as a writer to have something with your name on it. Mm -hmm. And I, I, remember, I remember that. I try to remember that as much as I can because at the end of the day, I'm making money. I'm making a living creating stories I get to tell stories and that's my world that's my career and that in and of itself is very cool so it definitely helps because I do have people to remind me that you know also people big people like Ron Howard and Michael Bay they got their start writing mm -hmm. those smaller things um yeah how many Corman gave how many people their start exactly you know, like you said Ron Howard and I know was it Scorsese even I know uh, Cameron, yeah. you know Jim Cameron, Cameron. A lot of them Michael got their Bay. Michael yeah, Bay. I think he did. So, didn't I mean, he do Piranha I, or Piranha he, Two? Yeah, yeah. Like even uh, Shonda Rhimes did Princess Diaries, which is very different than what she does now. Sure. Um, so I think I'm in good company, and it's a really good reminder that 
starting out, you may not be exactly where you want to be and writing exactly what you want to write, but someone gave you an opportunity Mm -hmm. and those opportunities are very hard to come by. And when someone sees something in in you and wants to give you those opportunities, it's like, I mean, obviously I'm going to take it, but also it's more than that. You got to really appreciate it and be grateful because it's a big deal. It really is. And again, yes, you know, I didn't do, you know, inception or whatever. Yeah. Those will hopefully come. Um, I think they will. Um, but you're right. You're right. It is, uh, it's, it's a, it's an honor. I feel like, and And it's, it is a niche, but at the same time, so are period pieces. So are, you know, there's, and many people love these kinds of movies that love fantasy movies or, you know, these other genres of film. So just because you don't like or appreciate that doesn't mean there aren't millions of people who do love those kind of films. So you just, if you put it in that context, that's yeah. true. And my dad, it's funny, growing up, I always remember my dad always watching the sci-fi channel. And I was always scared of it as a kid because it was like about aliens and stuff like right. that. But that was my dad's thing. Like he loved sure. the sci-fi channel. And even when I started working at Cinetel, that was something I said in the interview. I was like, oh, my dad is obsessed with sci-fi channel. He watches it all the right. time. And uh, my future boss at the time was like, well, maybe one day you'll be writing you know, one of the movies that he'll be watching. Uh, it's funny, my dad's so busy, he doesn't watch movies anymore. Um, but now I am writing right. the movies that my dad would be watching and that I do have friends that appreciate that kind of stuff because at the end of the day, we all talk about it. Movies are escapism. It doesn't matter if you're winning massive awards for it. It doesn't really matter as long as it offers people something that they could either come home to and veg out to and not have to think about everything that just happened during that day or what they have to do the next day or something that they can really kind of dive into and just feel like they're a part of that world. I think regardless, like you're offering people a way to escape and it's, it's more than entertainment, no matter what genre you're doing, Mm -hmm. no matter what the budget is, it's you're giving people something. Yeah. I mean, that's whether it's literature, whether it's art, whether it's, it's something to engage and entertain and hopefully if it's good communicate with others and you can all yeah. talk about it afterwards well even if it That's was the best part yeah whether it was great or terrible it. or whatever you talk about what you liked what you didn't like what characters what yeah. they did this i mean that's that's why you watch movies yeah you know yeah um but going back to sci-fi films genre films what sort of, of suggestions do you have for somebody who w- was thinking, you know, I love monster movies or I love alien movies or whatever sci-fi type genre pictures that tend to be to lower budget. What are things they should focus on? What are things they should avoid? What are things that you saw coming through in scripts that you're like, this is, we couldn't make this. Why is this a script that you couldn't wor- make? You know, those types of things. What sort of advice would you have or suggestions? Um, you know, it depends on the situation. Um, so much of it is budgetary stuff, um, what you can get away with, what you can't get away with. Um, for us specifically, a lot of it had to do with VFX. Mm. Um, and VFX is something that, regardless of whether you're doing a TV movie, you're doing a movie that goes straight to DVD, whether it's you know, being produced by a production company or it's your own movie that you're putting together, a monster flick, whatever, um, budget obviously always plays a role in that. And um, specifically with VFX, you, 
yes, it's fun to have those movies like the Sharknados where the VFX is so bad that it's laughable. And I think that's actually why Sharknado did, one of the reasons why Sharknado was so, um, so um, successful was because it was so bad it was good kind of thing. Right. Um, but a lot of times crafting a certain story, especially if it's like a sci-fi creature kind of thing, you, you want to know what, what you can and can't get away with. And I think a lot of times that may affect the story and kind of how you're wrapping the creature, how you're wrapping the characters, how you're wrapping the kills, all that stuff around. You still, I think you want to make it look as, as great as you can. Sure. And VFX budget, all that absolutely influences the story. And so sometimes you have to write around it and sometimes you have to have that wrapped around, you know, what you're writing. And both of them go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about... Uh moving on into writing, you know, after your career in development and working for Adam Mm -hmm. on different TV shows. So you've sort of, we've worked in features and now you're in television um, and making that sort of transition. Mm. But I mean, you sort of also have your foot in both worlds, but at the same time, they are very different worlds. Very different. Um, What has your experience been like in television as an assistant and then, you know, again, now developing projects and things like that. Um, the experience is, is absolutely different from features. Um, whereas features is more slightly slower paced. Mm-hmm. TV is not. Um, and actually, since you brought up the transitioning kind of thing, that was a whole challenge for me because having so much experience in features, especially TV features, which is different than theatrical features. Um, you can get your foot in the door, but it's very difficult because you have this experience and people just see that, oh, well, that's what you know. You don't really know this side of it, and it is a different side. Um, so I absolutely struggled making the transition because at, when I was writing, I was writing features, and I loved it, and it was great and everything. I wrote a pilot, and I fell in love with my pilot, and I fell in love with writing TV. And then I started falling in love with TV because it was around the time where just really amazing um, material was coming out, uh, you know, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, things that we hadn't seen before and yet were drawing us in and bringing out this, like, passion for this side of the industry that, you know, we had never really had before. Um, so I desperately wanted to get into TV at that point in time in, in my life and in my career. And making that transition was absolutely hard. So what I had to do was, um, even though I had been the director of development at a production company and I was a writer I had to take a couple steps back and we we, I think so many times we try to avoid stepping back because we're always trying to go forward that most people don't do it I knew I had to go back to being an assistant again um, if I wanted to get my foot in the door and even that was hard I just didn't have that tv experience I worked um, briefly at Warner Brothers in current programs um, which is the development when a TV show is is actually on the air. Mm -hmm. And that was a great foot in the door. Um, I actually got that job through temping. Um, But I still didn't have enough experience to be a showrunner's assistant or be a writer's assistant. And um, I I actually was working as a copywriter at the time because I needed money. Um, I had finished writing the two 
um, sci-fi movies that I had written and I needed the money so I started working as a copywriter and I was just I felt like I was desperate at that point in time just to get any kind of assistant job just to get my foot in the door with TV and miraculously enough Adam Targum came along um, and I was actually introduced to him through a director that I had worked with at Cinetel they were friends he knew that Adam was looking for an assistant because he was going to take over as a showrunner of Banshee. And he recommended me. Me and Adam spoke. We hit it off immediately. And I became his assistant. So from then on out, I had really, truly had my foot in the door. It was just a long time in the making, it felt like. Um, but now I'm in. So I feel like now I can kind of bounce back and forth between features and TV because... I do have my foot in both worlds. Mm -hmm. It's just hard to get both of those experiences. They're both so drastically different. And the learning curve is massive on both ends. So I'm actually still in the process of, of learning about TV. But I'm now being Adam's assistant. I'm so immersed in it, you know, working on Banshee and now doing all these things with Adam. He has a lot of projects um, in the works. I'm so immersed in TV. It's just now that's becoming second nature to me. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, and for those of you who haven't listened to Adam Targum's interview, he's been on the podcast. We love Adam. He's, we love him. Yeah, he's amazing. He is amazing. Um, so go listen to Adam's interview after this one. Yes. This one first. But since we have you here, I, I want to know, and since uh, uh, you were actually sitting in, the, uh, uh, in Adam's office during <laughs> yes, the, the interview. I was. It was an amazing um, interview. Uh, what have you learned from Adam, but also in general in, in television from being, you know, a showrunner's assistant, uh, what types of things did you learn that you didn't know, even though you've been a, a working screenwriter and worked in development and worked in TV, right. what are some of the things specifically uh, TV-wise being in those rooms that you pick up? Oh, God, it's so much, actually. I mean, you always kind of think you know a lot. Yeah, and you never know what you don't know because you don't know. Exactly. Right. And even then, even the things you know change and mm -hmm. there's, you know, someone else handles things differently and that's really valuable information. So um, just kind of being a sponge around Adam and just watching him and listening to him, he's absolutely amazing. I'm not just saying that because I want to raise. Um, <laughs> he's amazing. He really is. He's really smart. Right. And he knows what he's doing. And he's been at it for a while. So he, you know, he's, he deserves where he's at right now. And it's really helpful for me. Um, not only is Adam a, a natural teacher. Uh, he used to actually teach at USC. Um, but just listening to him and see the things that I've learned the most from him is how to, I guess, play the Paul political game with um when it comes to getting feedback mm -hmm. uh, on notes and stuff adam does both adam gives notes to people because you know he's an ep and he has writers underneath him right. that are you know writing the pilots and stuff and then he's also writing the pilot so i get to see both sides of that and that's really amazing to me because i see adam as a boss and i see adam as the writer creator taking the notes and that dichotomy is just really great to experience because I've just learned so much of how to properly manage people, how to proper, I, you know, I've, like I said, I was in development, so I've given notes, I've mm -hmm. done it. Um, but he handles it in such a way to where people get off the phone with him 
feeling more excited than when they got on the phone with him, regardless of how he feels about it. So like he may have a lot of notes, whatever, but he just, he's really great at rolling with the punches too. And, and coming up with these ideas off the top of his head, that are so great and gets people excited. People become more passionate about it. And then it was a great call. And I've, I don't know. I've, I've just, I've learned so much about just how to interact with notes, especially getting them because it's a lot, it's really easy for writers to get defensive, to want to defend what you wrote because there was a reason you wrote it that way. And Adam does that, but in such a way that it doesn't come off as if he's combative. And that to me has been invaluable because that's what's going to keep you working in this industry. People are going to want to work with you because you're receptive. Mm -hmm. However, that doesn't mean you can just roll over and go, oh, whatever you think is right, I'm going to do. So finding that balance is so integral to your success, I think, in this industry. And not saying that people who are difficult don't, aren't successful because we all, we've all heard the story. Sure, right? sure. Some of the most successful people are very difficult people to work with. But I think if you can find, if you could be a successful person, be a pleasure to work with. That's just what's going to keep you going. Mm -hmm. um, and really kind of watching Adam do that has taught me a lot in how to just kind of ride that line of being the writer, the you know creator, um, and just how to be receptive and, and work well with not just the people who would be under me or next to me or above me, just everybody. Well, you had specifically mentioned that taking notes being positively, not being defensive yes. or combative, but at the same time, not necessarily rolling over. What are some th things that you could advise or what are some, some ways that writers can sort of approach that? Um, you mean in terms of like how you could actually defend what you wrote and why you wrote it yeah. and yet not come across as right, combative? Right, exactly. Yeah, I think it's, Adam does this thing. I told him I was going to steal it. <laughs> Adam goes, I hear the note and I agree. But, he, you know, we originally did it because this, this, and this. And then that's what, go, uh, that's what gets, you know, the executives going or whoever's giving the notes going, oh, right. Yep, you're right. Okay, that makes sense. That's absolutely right. Okay, you know what? Like, and, and then Adam will still give a solution for it. He'll still go and say, but if you're still bumping up against it, what if we do this instead? So it's about finding the compromise, but it's about acknowledging that their note is valuable and is legitimate, and you're not saying that they're wrong. And you're acknowledging that there's a place for that, but you're trying to read around it. And you're also trying to say, I get the note, and I, I think that that's absolutely you know, correct. You know, I kind of was trying to do this with it. So it helps them feel comfortable that you're not fighting them on it, but then you still state your perspective on right. it. And now they're, got it, I see, I see, I see. Instead of going, oh, well, no, that doesn't work because, you know, I already thought about it. And it needs to be this, this, and this. And now they're feeling like you're fighting them on it. And even though you're making a logical point, I think it's just, it's the way you're saying it. Um, they always say it's not what you say, it's the way you say it. And I think right. so much of that is so important in this industry and when you're working with people. And I'm just, I'm learning that working with the different personalities that I've been working with lately. It's just 
just be gentle with how you say things. You can still get your point across. Right. You can still fight for what you feel strongly about. And the other side of it is also, and I, I was reminded of this recently, is pick your battles too. You know, it's like, don't always defend what you did because even if you don't see their note as being something that will make the story better, there's a reason they have that note. So, you know, what I've always been told, what Adam always says, and, um, and what, I, what I know to be true is find the note within the note. Mm -hmm. There's a reason they're bumping up on it. And even though you may not understand it right away and you may disagree with it, think about it too. And if you can't find that reason of why, okay, that note makes sense, and then one of the best things that I heard Adam say was, uh, all right, well, let me digest that. Let me think about <laughs> right. that. Let me mull that over. And um, yeah, I think, I think we can come up with something that, you know, will make us both happy. And that right there will just put everyone at ease. <laughs> so right. it's, it's playing, it's playing. Let's put the, a pin in that. Let's put a pin in that. <laughs> yeah. Let me think about yeah. it. Let me process it. Right. I've been saying this, like, I'm just processing. I'm just processing. <laughs> Cause I, I realize um, one of the worst things you can do is be, reactionary mm. and I get like that too when I get notes I'm I'm immediately I react to it instead of thinking about it and that's why I like I, I prefer written notes because I can read the notes and I can get all worked up and, and and my emotions and I can feel my emotions and I can take a break and I can come back and read the notes and now all of a sudden I'm like oh yeah that does make sense because I'm not defensive anymore you know I'm not trying to protect my baby anymore I've given myself room to like process it and go back and really read the note and go oh yeah you know what that does kind of make sense or mm, I don't really agree with that but I think if I do this I can answer their note and um, make them feel more comfortable with the direction of the story um, and so I think that's the key unfortunately we don't usually get written notes it's usually verbal and you're on a call so right. I think just taking a step back, taking a moment to process it, and even if you're disagreeing with it, sometimes say, you know, I'm just going to, let me think about that, let me mull that over, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll come up with something that is a solution for both of us. Right. And that's great, because that's actually in, I don't believe in the 100 plus, 150 plus episodes um, that has been, that's talked about very often. Um, it. it we always talk about don't be reactionary to notes because everyone wants to work with someone who's easy to work with yes. and not super defensive. Right. But that's a great tip to sort of, even just if you're talking to the person, just take a step back and say, you know what, let me think about that. Right. Because it gives you the time to genuinely calm down yeah. and you know, hopefully look at the note, but also yeah. at least not lash out and get angry and defensive. Yeah. I think one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten, and I've gotten it from Adam and, and my, my other boss, Neil, in development, too, um, was look at the note behind the note. You know, it's mm -hmm. just there's a reason for it. Um, it may not make sense at the time. And it may not be right. It's not like every single note that everyone gives is right. No. And, and, and also, you don't have to address every single note. But if you can take that step back and really analyze the note and go, okay, what, what problem are they having? Because they may not fully know what problem they're having with it, but something doesn't feel right. Right. So if they're bringing it up, the note may not be the actual note, but it's still a feeling that they're having that something's not right. And I think 
that if you can actually try to break that down and analyze it, I think that's really helpful because it will make your story better. Because right. the executives, the people that are giving the notes, they're not the only ones that are going to be paying attention to the story. You're going to have an audience. And if your audience is feeling awkward about something, they definitely don't have, I mean, some of them will know what's wrong with it, but most of them, they may not know what's wrong with it. They'll just know, it doesn't feel right. I don't like this. This show isn't great. This right. movie isn't great. I don't want to watch it anymore. Um, so having that feedback up front, even if you may not agree with it right away, think about that they may not be the only person to have an issue with it. So think about that because so many times, yes, you'll get the bad notes that will make things worse. <laughs> I've definitely gotten that. I've seen it happen more often than not. Right. But if you're the one who can take that note and don't necessarily take their solution to the note. Sometimes right, the they'll have note. the literal note. They'll go, oh, well, you know, this character's not doing this. Why don't we do it? We talked earlier, like, right. give them a dog. Right. Okay, well, I don't want to give them a dog. What is that? That has nothing to do with anything. But, okay, well, what's the note? Okay, well, I feel like him having a dog gives him compassion for something. Right. He's doing all these shitty things right. as a character or whatever. But if he has a dog and has something to take care of, you make him, you bring him down to earth, you ground him, you make him more humane. Right. Um, there's the note right there, right? That you can do, you can answer in a different way. You don't have to take their solution, right. their fix for it. But right there, now all of a sudden you have a stronger character. You have a more layered character. Sure. So all these notes are so integral. It's just taking that step back, not being so reactionary to them, not being so defensive. And again, I'm learning this too. Um, and it, it really helps me to see it. I'm like a fly on the wall on these calls. So I'm a third party's perspective. So it helps me view it as a third party and then really go, okay, Ashley, now you need to take what you're observing into your own life and how you handle notes from people. I think that's so important. You're going to be so much of a stronger writer and your material is going to be so much stronger when you can actually figure out that that's the key mm -hmm. to, um, to taking notes right. and addressing them. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Um, I did want to mention, because I want to move on to Mr. Jamie Foxx, yes. who I know you're working on a project in development with. Um, uh, you may, the audience may remember him from In Living Color playing Wanda. <laughs> yeah, uh, Wanda. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously he's, you know, uh, fantastically talented. Brilliant, but that play. is his start. Right. No, I, and yeah. I think he was seriously underrated. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and... I remember watching In Living Color back in the day. I'm dating myself. But, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, he played these great characters. Mm -hmm. But I remember in one episode, they allowed him to play the piano. And he was so good. He sang and he played the piano. I'm like, holy, mm. he should be a musician. Mm -hmm. But yet he plays Wanda, you know, this, <laughs> this crazy woman who, I mean, it's out of control. I was like, wow, he's super talented. He is. Anyway, I'm just sidetracking here. Um, What's, how did that come about and what can you talk about? I know you can't talk about it at all, but. Um, it was just so funny how things work in the industry. Cause again, I mean, everyone says it's who, you know, sure. and everything that I've gotten, um, all these opportunities that I've gotten have been through people that I know the Cinetal thing was through my, um, internship boss getting the job with Adam was because I was referred to him by a director I worked with and same thing with Jamie um Jamie actually had the script that was written it needed some work and um he was looking for help he brought in uh, a really talented writer Elijah Long 
and they had been working with a guy who was just kind of acting as a writer's assistant. And um, they had just started trying to rewrite the script. Um, they were deconstructing it, basically, and doing kind of like a, um, a big rewrite on it. And the writer's assistant couldn't do one of the days that they needed. So it was a last-minute kind of thing. Uh, Elijah called his friend Derek. Um, Derek, Derek Hughes, is a friend of mine that I've known since the beginning, since I started in the industry, because he actually was brought in, I met him through at Cinetel. He was actually brought in to possibly write, with him and his um, writing partner, Ben, to write one of our movies. They were a little too big for us, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both now writers on the TV show Flash. Um, but Derek called me immediately because I had actually done a little bit of writer's assistant work for him and Ben when they had a pilot going. And so he immediately thought of me for, you know, to help out just being the script person for, for Jamie and for Elijah. And, uh, (laughs) it was kind of one of those things where I was already comfortable in my day. I was working on something for Adam, didn't need like to be turned around right away. And I was like in my pajamas and I had no makeup on, showered or anything. And then Derek calls me and he's like, Hey, you want to go do some work with Jamie Foxx? I'm like, and (laughs) that was so intimidating for me for a bunch of reasons because well, A, it's Jamie Foxx and B, I'm such a comfort zone person that just throwing something at me last minute, it's like, they need you up there in a couple hours. I'm like, ah, I'm not prepared. I'm not mentally prepared. I'm not physically prepared. I just don't need a shower and everything. But I was in that place where I had just gotten off Banshee for the most part. It had been like, you know, quite a few months, but I had done something big where I had moved um, across the country for six months to work on a TV show and do a job I'd never done. Um, So I had already started kind of breaking myself out of that comfort zone. And I knew as someone who, you know, wants to be successful in this industry, I have to break myself out of my comfort zone. So I decided I was going to say yes. I checked with Adam, of course, and he was like, oh, my God, do it, do it. Um, So it was kind of supposed to be like a one-day thing, and I was just going to go and literally just type. And I didn't exactly know what to expect because I heard writer's assistant, I heard story meeting, and all I thought is, oh, I, I, you know, I sit on the phone with, you know, people bouncing ideas around, and I'm just going to type their ideas. Well, it ended up we were writing the script, and I was typing. Um, we jumped into a scene, and Jamie, being the amazing Jamie that he is, um, he's he's just so creative, and he's in the scene, and he's literally acting out the scene, and I'm literally typing it out as he's acting it out. And thank God I'm, like, somewhat of a quick typist because <laughs> keeping up with that, that is very uh, – but he's really great because he doesn't expect you to get it in one – fell swoop he he goes back and tries to remind you of what he wanted the characters to say so from then on you know I kind of went into it with like okay it was intimidating right and I was scared I was gonna like flub something I was gonna be so nervous I wasn't gonna be able to type properly what if he didn't like me you know what if he's an asshole I really didn't know anything about Jamie because I I just I don't read a lot about celebrities and who who they are I hear through the grapevine and I just I didn't really know what it was gonna be like and I got there, and um, we just had this vibe. We worked really well together between me, Jamie, Elijah. There were a couple other people, um, other writers that were there that were involved in the script early on that were there. And it almost kind of acted as like a writer's room. And we were bouncing ideas around. And I just kind of brought in this different vibe. And, um, and I vibed with Jamie, and I vibed with Elijah. And from then on, it was like, let's do this again and um I kind of being the development girl that I am and and being a writer I kind of stepped in and and helped really 
helped with the story a lot more and helped Jamie execute this and with Elijah and getting the script to really where it needed to be story-wise. Like Jamie, Jamie had the comedy down. Jamie knew what he wanted in these scenes. This was this is a project that he's actually um, it's going to be his directorial debut. It's his baby. Um, so it was it's his vision and everything. But I was there to kind of help guide the story along and give him, you know, help with use my expertise as someone who would always give notes and help guide writers, um, as well as doing, you know, some of the writing myself and just kind of helping him execute it and put it on paper. And now we're in prep for it. And, uh, you know, we have a bunch of other he has a ton of other stuff that he wants to get going. And I'm on the team, so um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the circle. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got into it with him, and hopefully there'll be more to come. You've working with Jamie Foxx, you're working with Adam Targum, you've been a director of development at a production company, you've worked at Warner Brothers, um, you've done a lot of this stuff. What I find super interesting is that you've done all this mm-hmm. without representation. You don't have a manager or an agent at this point. No. Um, and I, because we have a lot of, of writers who are sort of the newer stages and I get a lot of emails. How do I get a manager? How do I get a rep? And if I don't have that, how do I, how do I get my stuff read? How do I, how can I become a writer if I can't get a rep and nobody will read me? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I met, uh, our last episode was with Matt Pitts, who's a TV writer, um, on APB now for Fox, but was on Zoo and has done Messengers and has done a bunch of stuff. He started by actually not getting a job packing boxes for, um, it was, I don't know, it was, it was Technicolor, I think it was. Okay, yeah. Um, basically, he applied for a job packing boxes in shipping for Technicolor, didn't get the job, ended up the person he interviewed with referred him to her boyfriend or husband, who brought him in to meet on a, as a job as a PA on, let's say, Alias, okay. something like that. And he was able to parlay that into basically where he is now. I mean, obviously, there's a million steps between those two, mm-hmm. but basically him moving across the country, uh, get taking whatever job he could get and moving up the chain, which is similar to your kind of side, getting that internship, sort of setting off these chain of events. Right. But you've been able to do a lot of this without representation. So I wanted to talk to you about that whole, how have you navigated those waters of getting work and not and moving up the chain, continuously growing and, and, and moving not up that chain. Not having representation. Not having representation. Yeah, it's been interesting because, you know, you always hear of, okay, this is the way that you're going to get what you want. This is the only way to, you know, become a writer. This is, you know, how you're going to get your stuff sold, blah, blah, blah. And you always think it's because people had representation. I always thought that. Mm-hmm. And and actually, a couple months ago, one of my biggest goals, my next step was to get a manager, get an agent, whatever. And I thought that that would be my best bet. But... Oddly enough, all these opportunities started coming and I didn't have representation. And so what I've started just kind of realizing is that there's no one way to become successful and to become a writer and to get your stuff seen and to sell stuff. It's There's so many different paths that you can take. And um, 
you can become rigid and say, oh, okay, it has to be this way. And so much of it is just putting yourself out there, Mm -hmm. whether it's putting your stuff out there, putting physically putting yourself out there where you're trying to network with people where you're, you know, taking all these different jobs you think may not lead to anything. All of a sudden you start to realize that all these things that you've been doing are starting to come together and all these opportunities are starting to happen for you. And it doesn't have to be because you had someone else get it for you. And for me, again, I'm going to go back to this. This is a cliche, but this is a cliche for a reason is that it's, who you know in this industry. And this isn't like about people clinging to other people. This is about people doing good work, trying to make themselves invaluable Mm -hmm. to certain people. And people will recommend you when people, when other people start rising up and they start doing their own thing, they're going to think of you. They're going to give you these opportunities. And that's kind of how things have been happening with me, you know, getting, Getting, honestly, getting my foot in the door with Adam, you know, being his assistant. Adam's the type of guy who he doesn't want to hold anyone back. He, if anything, he wants, he gets excited about helping you and giving you the opportunities. And it was like that from day one. But also I proved myself to him that, you know, I can be what he needed me to be when he needed me to be it. You know, be his assistant, be his right hand. Um, it also helped, obviously, that I am a writer and that I have development experience. So when it came to his own projects, he was giving them to me. I was giving him notes. But right there, you know, I made myself invaluable to someone who is extremely talented, who is moving his way up and is only going to do bigger and bigger and bigger things and truly values me and wants to give me the opportunities for me to get to where he is. Um, same thing with with Jamie. Um and, and just, you know, writing the projects for Cinetel, you know, I was working in development. Um, it's doing good work and it's doing good work with the right people. And it may not seem like it right away. You may think you're working your butt off and nothing's happening. But out of nowhere, all of a sudden, it all starts to come together and people are referring you. People who know, you know, this person, who knows that person, who's friends with that person. I mean, that's how the Jamie thing happened. You know, I, my friend Derek talked to you know his friend Elijah who's friends with Jamie and they needed a, another writer to come right. in and that's how I that's how I got you know in with in, in with them um, so again it's so much of it is who you know so I think people know that but I think people get so sidetracked too with having to do stuff a certain way I got to knock out writing all these scripts which obviously you have to have material to show sure, you have to sure. write and writing also you know, makes you better and better and better. So you need that side of it. But also, like, don't forget about the people that you're working with and just putting yourself out there when it comes to networking. Because I hate networking. Like, I'm not a networking person. I don't go to networking events. I have because I force myself to go. But it's always <laughs> so awkward. No one wants to be there, but everyone feels like they have to. And everyone's, like, hoping that you're going to be someone that can help them. Right. And when they realize you're not... You know, it just kind of gets awkward. And um, I always leave those things going, God, I hate myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so awkward. Like, I hate these things. So I don't go to them. I'm not a networking person. And I always believe, and I always said this, and people are like, oh, whatever, you're just making an excuse so you don't have to network. Um, And I'm not saying don't network, because I really think that people who are great at networking and love it, like, like, you're amazing. Like, you're going to be successful. You're just, you know, you're going to get far. But also at the same time, like you don't have to do that fake, fake networking mm-hmm. stuff. Like I've like things are coming to me because of who 
I've been working with. And that happens well, and your natural. your attitude towards the whole experience of it, accepting every opportunity, doing a good job, being positive. And, yeah. You know. Which, that, that's another thing. It's the accepting opportunities. I mean, it's, it's so easy to get scared of these things that are coming up. And I think I was like that for so many years and I didn't really realize it was holding me back. And now I'm also at the place where I'm just, I'm, I feel like I'm ready for bigger things. So now things are coming and I'm saying yes to things and saying yes to things has opened even more doors for me. Well, not only that, but Matt Pitts said when he came out, he was encouraged to apply for that job packing boxes. And he's yeah. like, what do I, mm-hmm. I don't want to pack boxes. Yeah. I came out here to work in the entertainment. He didn't know what he wanted to do, I don't think, at the time, if I'm remembering that correctly. But he said, you know what, I'm going to say yes. And ever since then, that's led to more and more mm-hmm. because he said yes. He took advantage of the opportunity and then kind of parlayed that into other things. It's the same thing with your uh, working for Adam. When it was sort of presented to you, you said yes. You didn't all of a sudden show right and yeah. especially because you had been a writer you had been a director of development so you had you know it was sort of a not even a lateral move it was sort of a move a step back but yes. then again sometimes but you also have to, a step forward absolutely yeah and yeah accepting those opportunities yeah absolutely because it was scary for me like I said I'm a very comfort zone person and I don't break out of my box and I always knew I had to it was just like oh, I just wasn't ready I luckily was at the point in time in my life where I was just like I need something. I need something different. Um, I need something to happen, even if it's scary. I need to say yes. And I honestly don't think if if I wasn't at that place in my life that I was, I would have said yes to the opportunity because I had to go to Pittsburgh for six months. And to me, I had never moved aside from moving to L.A. Like, that was my big thing. And I hadn't done it in so long that I was just like, ooh, like, go live in another city, you know, doing something I've never done. Um, But I was just like, yes, like, yes, yes, yes. I'll, I'll go to Pittsburgh with you. Um, and he had actually, oddly enough, he had tried to offer the job before he met me to two other people who said no because it was in Pittsburgh. So it's not like Pittsburgh is a terrible place. It's just, do I want to leave my comfort zone right. when I could maybe possibly get an opportunity within my comfort zone? And I was at the point where I was just like, I'm going to say yes to this. I'm going to say yes. And since I have, I mean, not only has other doors opened like because I said yes to things and I'm just around people, but... I've changed a lot. I'm more flexible. Mm-hmm. I'm more open to things. I'm I'm not as shy to like jump into like something that would make me uncomfortable before. If anything, I'm like, cool, let's be really uncomfortable <laughs> so I could see what where this leads, right. you know? Um, because definitely I still like, you know, I still put myself in uncomfortable situations and it sucks in the moment, but I try to remind myself of, you know, what happened with Banshee and Adam, like because I did that I'm doing bigger and bigger things now. And that honestly is what kickstarted, I think, everything for me. Yes, I was writing those sci-fi movies, which was really amazing to get a chance to have my name on something. Um, so I think that that was absolutely a success and it was a step forward in my writing career. But ever since I you know, started working for Adam, just I, I believe in energy. I believe that like, I believe in vibrations. And I think, you know, I started getting excited about things again and like, working with people who are excited about things and and making tv shows and it was the first time i'd actually been working on a production and been on set i'd always been in an office and behind a computer so i got to actually see 
them make a TV show mm-hmm. and just that energy and it and you feed off of that and you get excited and now you want more and you're like okay I'm gonna say yes to this and I'm gonna do this instead and you're not instead but I'm gonna do this too and it's the I don't know you just you build up this energy and, and things start coming to you and people are attracted to you you know not physically but like you know like they want to work with you sure. it's your energy you're attracting that same energy and then things just start building from there so I think that's the other thing about saying yes to opportunities, you know? Yeah, and it's not just opportunities. Like, obviously, if somebody came along and said, we want to offer you a three-picture deal at Universal, yeah. of course you're going to say yes to that. Yeah, but opportunities that you may not normally just jump into. Yes. You know, like, again, not lateral moves or even, you know, uh, vertical moves, but mm-hmm. moving backwards. I guess that's vertical too. But you know what I mean? Not forward no, but progress, it, it, but sometimes yeah. taking a step back, which could be lead to two steps forward. Yes. Things that you would like, I don't know if I should do it, but it's an opportunity. But make sure it's, you know, something that is continually... Is going to help you. Yeah. I think, you, like you were saying, like the flip side of that... Um, not necessarily flips. You could say yes to too many things. And I think I, I've realized that with a lot of my friends who are like real go-getters and they say sure. yes to everything. And now all of a sudden they're blowing certain things off and, right. and you understand yeah. why, yeah, but, but at the same time, it's like, you don't want to yeah. do that or they're burning the you know candle at both ends and they're exhausting right. themselves. And to me, I don't believe in that. Right. I believe in balance. And so the other thing is, is I've also, I'm really bad at saying no. So I've learned that, I need to take a look at, okay, these are my, these are my opportunities. These are things I'm doing right now. Yes, I could say yes to this. Who knows? Amazing things. Could, my life could blow up because of this in a great way. Um, but I don't know if it will. And I'm doing this, this, and this. I don't want to overcommit. I had some uh, producer approach me about possibly writing um, a, like a web series kind mm. of thing, a comedy web series. And it sounded really exciting to me, but... I knew I had already committed myself so much with, with Adam, with Jamie. Um, I'm, I'm writing another sci-fi project. And, uh, and I'm doing some other stuff, actually, with Elijah. We're working on a couple projects together that we're trying to get set up um, that some people are interested in. And right there, I'm like, okay, this is enough. Like, right. I, yes, I could say yes to this other thing, and, and that might may be amazing, but you also need to learn when to say no right. because you don't want to be like partially committed to things you want to be full in you want to be all in um and you don't want to exhaust yourself to the point where you're miserable like life needs to be fun we're doing this because it's fun for us right right? i think when you're a writer you're writing tv you're writing movies whatever it's fun it's not work it's fun so let's have fun like yes there's going to be stress that's inevitable you're making something and you have a lot of money involved. Um, so there's always going to be that stress, but you want to make sure not to be the source of that stress to where you're saying yes to everything. And now you're so overwhelmed that you're miserable. That's, that's not why we're doing what we're doing. We're doing what we're doing because we want to be happy and, and be excited and love what we're doing. Well, I know a lot of listeners who are sort of newer writers starting out, envy the opportunity. Oh, I wish I had more to say no to or anything sure. to say no to because they don't get those opportunities. But what I will say is, is activity breeds activity. Sort mm-hmm. of that rolling stone, mm-hmm. you know, that once you have momentum, things start Snowball coming. Right. But in order to get there, you have to take that first step. You have mm-hmm. to take that first shot. You have to take the first opportunity and then those will start to build. 
And, you know, that's kind of, you know, when it rains, it pours, it kind of happens. It's true. Well, I mean, what, two years ago before Banshee, like, nobody wanted me. I was like, someone <laughs> take me. Like, please. Like, I need to get into the TV side of it. Like, right. I was I was interviewing to be, a, you know, writer's assistant. I was interviewing to be a showrunner's assistant. And I was like, oh, yeah, you don't have any experience. I'm like, I have other experience. And this right. is what I'm trying to do. Um, but I got it. But, you know, I was at that place, too. I had no opportunities. I was fighting for those opportunities. And I think most of us get in that place. And then out of the blue, something comes and you jump on it. Right. And again, it's it's the snowball effect, but it's also it's that creating that energy that yeah. just starts to, you know, feed off of other energy that's out there and more things start coming to you. It's a magnet, you know. Absolutely. It's you're you're creating this very positive, you know, energy that's bringing more people to you and with more people becomes more opportunities and it is it, it's the when it rains it pours kind of thing so it can be really depressing when it feels like nothing is happening and it's been months years and it's like you're just not getting your break but you know I used to always call them Cinderella stories because to me they felt like they were just fairy tales it, didn't, it only happened to certain people but I think if you just keep on working your butt off and I don't mean exhausting yourself working your butt off just keep on at just keep at it keep on doing what you're doing it something will come and when that thing comes put your best out there more things will start coming more things will start coming it's the same thing with Adam actually you know it's like he did Banshee and then all of a sudden I mean I'm his assistant he gets emails and phone calls all the time like we want you and it's like before that you know he was a struggling writer just trying to get you know, on staff. So, you know, we're always going to hit those Mm -hmm. speed bumps and it's just, just keep going because, you know, that momentum will build the momentum, will build the momentum. Things will happen. More things will happen. And it's like, if it's not happening now, it will, but just keep at it. And both you and Matt Pitts uh, came to LA, Mm -hmm. which makes it infinitely easier to work in the industry in random off jobs. You know, just like, again, Packing boxes of Technicolor or right. whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Although he didn't get that job, which is the funny part what? of the story. Yeah, he, he didn't had, even do it? No, he didn't get the job. <laughs> but the woman who interviewed him liked him, and I guess her boyfriend or whatever was the one who oh, yeah. you know, said, uh, said he should interview for a different position. Anyway, right, okay, yes. Yeah. Um, but for people who are not in L.A., what, what, we're, what I'm trying to, to emphasize is to try to find other opportunities, and, and t- even if they don't look like the right ones. In other words, mm-hmm. just because you send your script out, you're not getting feedback, isn't the only opportunity you have to make something happen. If there's a local film festival, volunteer, meet other filmmakers, meet other writers, network, you know, take a volunteer at that film festival sure. if you can, because those are the opportunities you have to meet other people in the industry. Those are the, that's the ways that, that you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon can yeah. get you to where you need to be. Uh, but if you don't, take advantage of those opportunities you don't network you don't do those types of things in your area and you're not willing to move to LA or you can't then you're kind of you're at a severe disadvantage because yeah you know absolutely you 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 gotta take what what's offered to you I will say though that um just from what I hear and and obviously what I've seen it's so 
important to be out in LA if you really want it. It's not the only way. Again, like I said earlier, there's no one way. Well, in TV, it almost. In TV, kind of have. To yeah, be. and even you know, I was in Pittsburgh working on Banshee, and there were a lot of locals that were working sure. on Banshee as well. And um, oh, there I mean, is as a, a writer, of, as, as a writer, a crew, it's yes, yeah. yeah. Right. As a writer. And, you know, one of the things I would always say to, you know, the PAs who were like, oh, well, you know, there's there's a lot of productions that are out here. I'm like, yes, like you will absolutely get work. You're going to meet great people. And, you know, hopefully one of those people wants to read, you know, something that you wrote or, you know, wants to give you an opportunity. It's just so much harder. And this industry is already hard enough. It's like, why give yourself that obstacle? by not being in the mix and the other side of it is too it's like again i'm going back to energy it's like you come out to la and people are hustling people Mm -hmm. are in in a great way they're making things happen and and when you're around that it fuels you Mm -hmm. and now you're pushing yourself and you're doing this and you're doing that so yes it's about expanding your opportunities but it's also about being around people who are doing what you want to do and what you love doing that to me is absolutely invaluable to success because it's hard to make it work and when you don't have that you know support system yes of course you probably have your family or friends or whatever that's like yeah do it you know you're gonna be great we believe in you but it's a different support than when you're with your peers and people who are doing what you want to do, that to me is one of the most important aspects of success because it just helps keep you going because it can get really difficult and it can get really disheartening at times. And to have people who understand where you're at, where you're coming from, where where you've come from, who've been there, Mm -hmm. who are there now, you know, it's like they keep you going. So yeah, absolutely. I think you can, you can still do what you want to do in in other areas, but in other states, other cities, um, I was always told you couldn't. Um, I think you can do anything you want to do if you really, really, really have the passion to do it. It just makes it a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, my suggestion has always been because it's always been the advice I was given. Because there was a point where I thought about moving to be with my family in Phoenix because I'm from Illinois, but the majority of my family moved to Phoenix. They're six hours away. And I'm like, well, I want to be a writer. I can do that anywhere. Um, so why, why can't I just move back to, or not back, but why can't I just move to Phoenix, be with my family, right? That'll be amazing, right? And everyone's like, don't do it. Once you leave the industry, it's just hard to stay in the mix, right. you know? It's because so much of it is we are a community. And you want to be within that community. It just it helps you in so many ways. So um, I was always told, you know, stay in L.A. Um, or come to L.A., I mean, you you can absolutely make whatever you want happen for you the way you want it, but it's a, it's just it's a lot harder. It is, and you can set, it's it's not without it's not out of the the realm of possibility to sell a feature script, right? Even a pilot, possibly outside of Los Angeles, it happens. Yes. You win a contest, you mm-hmm. win the Nickel Fellowship. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine, but ultimately. And, and even as a, a feature writer, when you're not in L.A., you know, you can come to L.A., take some, if you have representation and you have a body of material, take some meetings for two weeks and then go back and do notes calls over Skype or whatever. Right. Um, pitches over Skype. That can be, that's possible. It's not the best way to do it, but it's possible. It's possible, absolutely. But as a TV writer, if you get hired on staff, 
mm. 95% of the staff, even if the shows don't shoot in Los Angeles, the, I writer's, mean, the room writer's room is, is yeah, in Los Angeles. Absolutely. So, and you cannot phone that in. You no, have to be here. You have to be there. I mean, that's right. the whole point of writer's rooms is to be together and, and collaborate. And taking these meetings with showrunners, with network executives, often happen at last minute often happen they're canceled a lot mm -hmm. so that you'll have a meeting yep. and you'll be getting dressed for your meeting oh you're moving some push to tuesday oh, yes you're or five o'clock right or whatever tomorrow morning and yeah. if you're flying in for three days or a week or whatever or you know hey i've got a meet you've got a meeting with jj abrams can you be here tomorrow and it's like yeah i'm in phoenix yeah uh i guess i can get in my car and drive right now or pay 300 dollars for a plane ticket oh sorry your meeting's been pushed you're in a hotel happens all the time right you're in a hotel room and you just pay what do you mean my meeting's been pushed till next week yeah it's jj abrams and there's a million things going on. Right, absolutely. Yeah. But yet it's still J.J. Abrams. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to take yeah. that meeting. So it's, yeah. those are the kinds of things that if you're not in L.A., it's just infinitely more difficult. It, it can absolutely. be done. Yes. But it's infinitely more difficult. But why make things harder on yourself when there's enough, you know, obstacles? Right. I think that's for the individual writer to decide, you know. Yes, absolutely. It's some, whatever works for you. Some I mean, people have families and they mm -hmm. can't uproot. But again... It's so much more difficult. It's but more difficult. But again, if you have a passion for it, yeah. if you're talented, yes, you can absolutely, you can make things work however you really want to make it work. You just have to, you have to do it. Right. You know, you have to put in your everything. And again, it's just, it's just harder. Yeah. And, but keep it, keep an open mind with networking. Again, yeah. whether it's the film festivals or whether it's a production like Banshee coming to town in Pittsburgh. Get a job anywhere you can on that production. To it doesn't network. matter if you're the craft service PA. Yes. You will meet people, and hopefully that can lead to something else. Again, remember, Matt Pitts was turned down for a job at Technicolor Packing Boxes and turned it into his contact. That was his in. Yeah. That got him in the, his foot in the door. That's all you need. Right. That's so what you need, yeah. Whether if, if you're, you know handing out hors d'oeuvres at an event somewhere. I mean, that may be, and it may not be, but until you do some of this stuff and get out there and do it, you don't know. Right. So, yeah. Take, take whatever yeah. opportunities that you can get yeah. because you never know what it will lead to. Right. And you have to, to do that to move ahead. Yes. Simply sending a screenplay out. I mean, maybe it'll work for you. Yeah, but absolutely. Nothing is out of the realm of possibility. Sure. But keep all those other opportunities open and, and try to take advantage of as many as you can. I think that's the key. I think just being open to whatever comes your way and and <laughs> what I always like to say, keep all like keep as many pokers in the fire as right, you possibly absolutely. can, you yeah. know? And make as many contacts as you can. Absolutely. Say yes to as many opportunities as you can without, you know, overwhelming yourself. Yeah, and you never know who Because you never know what will happen. Yeah. yeah. Who can help you and and um and again what you would mention before too I thought was valuable in that a lot of people will will approach you when you're successful and they're always looking for you to help them. Yes. Instead of being like, I'm going to help other people. Yes. And because that, but because they're only thinking out in their own terms. Yeah. But if you go out there and help other people, it will come back to you. Yeah. So instead of saying, what can you, what can you do for me? Always look at it. What can I do for you? Yeah. And by doing that, it's a lot of that will come back to you at some point. Absolutely. But I don't think enough people, you know, look at it like that. It's like, 
you know, oh, I need a manager. What can, so, you, what can do you do for, for me? me? Right, yeah. instead of the other way around. It's so much of this industry is the give and the take, you know? Right. It's like, if you're at a place where you can do things for people, yeah, absolutely. Maybe you're not looking at it as like, um, you know, what can you do for me? But for the most part, the people who are trying to work their way up, they are looking at it as like, how is this going to be mutually beneficial? Sure. How is this relationship going to help us both? Right. Because there are, there's just a lot of people that I connect with Every day, there's just a lot of people that could be in your life. You do have to be a little selective, and that sounds that sounds very um, jaded, jaded, <laughs> and and like just Cynical. cheap. Yeah, like yeah. it just sounds very shallow. But um, it's just there's so much going on in this industry. Yeah, you you have to pick and choose what you're gonna put your focus on, and you're gonna have your friends. Yes, absolutely. Those are gonna be you know your people that. They could be inside the industry, outside the industry, whatever. They're going to be your friends. But then when it comes to, like, contacts and stuff like that, absolutely keep as many contacts as you can. But you also need to see, too, like, you know, what are the best relationships? I hate to say, like, that are going to get you far because I don't really look at it like that. But now, like, kind of looking back, Mm -hmm. my relationships with people have been what have gotten me the opportunities. So just building those really strong relationships with the right people in a genuine way. You know, um, I hate networking for that reason because I don't like the, what what, what feels very, you know, false to me where it's like, oh, we're just talking to see what we can get from each other. I think you can still build those actual friendships, those actual relationships with the right people. And that's, that's really where you're going to get your opportunities. It's really going to, not even just like you're going to get your opportunities, but it's like, you can work together and make something happen together. And, yeah, absolutely. you know, that's, that's really, I think, you know, those relationships are what's going to get you far. Right. We've covered a lot. Um, now I've got one question here that is not related to anything about, um, uh, what your past projects have been. Okay. Um, what is one film or TV project that, you would have liked to have worked on in the past? Oh, gosh. Um, worked on as, like, a writer? Yeah, yeah. Mm, there's so much. Um, oh, there's so much good content out there. I don't know if I can pick one. Pick one. Um, just just <laughs> yeah, one? Just That's one. not fair. Um, oh, well, I... Something you didn't work on that you would thought, oh, it would have been cool to work on. That. I think... Game of Thrones would have been really cool. Mm. I mean, I know everyone's obsessed with Game of Thrones, so it sounds like very cliche to say. But, uh, you know, it's so easy to fall in love with um, the characters in that world and to just be a part of how the creation of that. It To me, it's very different because it's so rich right. with story and with characters. And, and also, you know, I wouldn't mind to, you know, be traveling to Croatia or you know, all, <laughs> all the other amazing places right. they shoot. Um, that's kind of my newest obsession right now. Is, Finding, is doing no, something on location. Oh yeah, well yeah, that too, and and Game of Thrones. But yeah, oh, okay. absolutely. I want to, I want to work and travel. Right. I think that's the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say Game of Thrones, just because uh, I love the specifically the characters because um, they're all so bad and yet so good at the same time. You know, they're right. just so real, actually, in the in the way that's like. You know, you have your the bad side of you and you have the, the good side of you. And they're really great at showing you both and getting you to hate one character. And then all of a sudden you love them and you right. see like a different side of them. And yes, other 
you know. Except Joffrey, we always hate Joffrey. Yeah, we always hate Joffrey. He's just he's the worst. I mean, there's no redeeming qualities in that. None. Or or what is it, Ramsay Bolton? Oh, Ramsay. Oh God, I hated. I couldn't even stand that storyline. That was just like, (laughs) it's like don't cut to Ramsay. I'm so happy when he died. Yeah, Um, and the way he died. And the way he died was amazing. Yes, we, and we, we, all, we all know. Yeah. We, yeah, we could go on and talk about right. Game of Thrones forever, so we better not. Um, I, we, we didn't say spoiler alert, so hopefully if you haven't oh, seen it, it's yeah. too late now. Yeah. Right. We won't tell you how we died, but yeah. anyway. But it was really Hopefully great. you've seen it already because it's amazing. If you haven't, what's wrong yeah. with you? Go watch it, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was actually very um, anti-Game of Thrones for a while. Really? Yeah. Well, I was excited to see the, you know, when it first aired. I was like, yeah, it's totally up my alley because I love anything period piece. And um, I watched the first, like, five minutes. Like, this is awful. They had, like, body parts, like, scattered around. It was, like, terrible. And I was like, ugh, I'm not watching this show. Then after the first season, everyone's like, it's really great. You should watch it. I'm like, all right, I'll give another chance. I started watching the first, like, couple episodes of season two. Yeah. And it was so brutal. And not that I'm against violence, because I love, like, Boardwalk Empire. Oh, another great show. And, you know, even, like, 24. is like, a lot of action and stuff like that. Um, so it's, I, you know, violence doesn't bother me, but it was just like, holy shit, like they're going a little overboard. And then one of my friends was like obsessed with it. And this was like five seasons in and she's like, you have to get into it again. I'm like, I will get into it again for you. Let's try it. And then I don't know what happened. Maybe I was just ready for it. Maybe I wasn't ready for it before. And I was just like, we, we, we started from the beginning again. So I rewatched the first episode and I was like, I love this show. And then I became obsessed with it. We binged, watched it. And now it's like my number one favorite show. Yeah, it's so great. I think I was also for a while, I was like anti-Game of Thrones because I always try to go, oh, well, everyone else loves it. Right. I don't want to be one of them, Those you know. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be in the mass, you know. Right. I want to try to like something that nobody else likes. Unless more obscure or whatever. Or that not a lot of people like. Um, so I, ch- I, I tend to do that with mainstream stuff. I'm like, no, I don't like it. Everyone else likes it. Um, but Game of Thrones, there's a reason why everyone likes it. Right. So in, in my humble opinion. Who's your favorite character on Game of Thrones? Um, I like Tyrion. I do too. Tyrion. I love Tyrion. And um, uh, I can never remember his name. But he was his right hand for a while. And then Jamie's right hand. Um, you know him. I love him. He's one of the... Um, Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, uh, I can't remember his name either. I know you're talking about. Yeah, he was like teaching Jamie or retraining Jamie how to fight with his 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 other hand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Tyrion, out of the main character, Tyrion and Jamie. You like the rogues, the rapscallions, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. Most women I know like Daenerys Targaryen because she's just a badass. Yeah, of course I like her. She bothered me for a little while because she was just so, I think, self righteous and. Uh, I don't like that. So, uh, but she absolutely, still is, but she, she still is. is. But she's less like princessy and no, more yeah, like uh, more like I'm gonna take over the world. Right. And she's just she's a badass woman. And so yeah, of course. Like I, what I love about Game of Thrones is every single woman on that is a badass woman. I honestly, I'm trying to think. Is there any weak women? I mean, maybe they start out that way, but then eventually mm. they find their own. I don't. Think so. Like even um, even uh, Sansa, like Sansa oh, was sure. like, oh wow, 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 I'm a teenager, blah blah blah. Right. But she's like kicking ass right now, and right. so I really respect that with Game of Thrones. It's like, thank you. Even the wildling woman, I don't remember her name. Yeah, but uh, she, she's not a pushover at all. Oh no, of course you not. Know. Which but one? She, the one that Jon Snow, her and Jon Snow. No, the other one. The other one. The one. The one, one, the one, one um, 
can't remember all their names. I know. Uh, there's I'm so really many characters. There's so many. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really impressed that I remembered as many characters' names as I just did. <laughs> I'm like, good Ashley, go Ashley. Um, yeah, maybe we should stop talking about Game of Thrones so we don't I know, ruin I was it like, for people. We should just do another yeah, episode about Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah, we can do Let's Game of Thrones. Yeah. Okay. Or Boardwalk Empire. We can pick a show. Oh, I'll do Boardwalk Empire. I love Boardwalk Empire. Oh, me too. Okay. Let's stop. Great we better show. stop. Right. <laughs> um, okay. This is the part where we talk about what you're reading, watching, playing, and listening to. Oh, okay. Hold on. Reading. Yeah. Watching. Playing. playing. Okay, like, you're gonna have to run me down the list again. So sure. reading. Um, <laughs> I have to admit, I'm not a huge reader. Um, I get distracted really easily, so it's hard to keep my attention, which is why I like TVs and movies. Um, but I'm also I'm a huge self growth nerd. Mm-hmm. So I like to read stuff. Is that stuff a thing? About <laughs> Self-growth I don't know. I just, I kind of made it up, <laughs> okay. but uh, I'm sure it is. Right. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really into like self-improvement and self-growth and stuff like that. I'm reading this book right now um, called Presence and it's about, well, it's, uh, the, it's by a woman called, um, her name is Amy Cuddy and she does amazing TED Talks uh, about power posing, about how you can pose your body in a certain way that not only makes other people perceive that you're more powerful but you feel more powerful so you almost trick your brain into thinking you're more confident and you have more power than you may originally think or feel um our brain and bodies are so it you know what it does i've noticed that i've started changing my posture because the one of the things that she says is when you hunch over and you make yourself small Mm -hmm. It, it gives the illusion to other people that um, that you are powerless, but also for you, it, it again it, it signals to your brain that you you are in fact you know powerless. Um, so it's about making yourself bigger and everything like that. And she has this whole thing where you do this like Superwoman pose for I haven't done it yet, but like for two minutes or whatever before a really nerve wracking thing, like before an interview, before a speech, whatever. And it it gives you this feeling of confidence. Um, and it's not a false confidence. It's, it's if anything, not being confident is false because why are you not confident? You're so worried that about what other people think or whatever. There's all these reasons why you are self-conscious and, and you, you know, you're not confident in yourself. Um, and that's not really real. So it's about just training yourself to, to be confident. And a lot of that has to do with how you, you stand. So presence is kind of similar. Um, it's a, it's called presence, bringing your boldest self to your biggest challenges. And yes, I'm, I'm definitely a self-help kind of person. I love that. <laughs> and, but it's really interesting because um, it's it's very helpful, not just for me as like a writer who's terrified of pitching, mm-hmm. um, but also just in life in general and just and really whether it be like being nervous about confronting someone or having like a really serious conversation with your friend or an ex or a you know spouse or whatever. Um, but you know, doing speeches, you can use it in any area of your life and it's about being present and, um, being present with who you really are and what you feel and what you were trying to say will change everything because you're going to be focused on what you were thinking as opposed to what someone else is thinking of you. Right. So I just started the book. It's really interesting. And um, uh, I don't know. I think it's going to help me a lot when it comes to one of my biggest fears and the thing that holds me back a lot is that absolute fear of going into a room and pitching stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm terrified of it. I don't like giving speeches. Um, and pitching is just another way of giving speeches, except for me, there's more on the line. It's, you know, sure, you absolutely. really wanting to 
sell something or you know get on a show or whatever you know and so it's like do that superwoman so pose? i'm gonna try the superwoman <laughs> pose okay i have tried it a little bit um don't tell anyone um yeah it's so it's 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 helpful so that's the kind of stuff that i read so it's it's mostly about like bettering myself um how i can work with some of the things that hold me back like my fears my anxieties and stuff like that so i read when i when i do read books um, I read about that because, you know, I think it's all about just, I think when you can improve who you are as a person, who you are as a human being, uh, you're going to find success in, in every area of your life. But, you know, it'll also help me in, in my career too and keep me from, or stop, stop me from using, you know, having these blocks that hold me back. Right, right. So that's what I read about. What was the next uh, one? Watching. Oh, watching um, Game of Thrones, but that's, you know, been over for a couple months. Um, yeah, I'm kind of still mourning that. <laughs> Morning Game of Thrones, um, and Peaky Blinders and Bloodline. So those were my, okay. those were my last couple months obsessions, and I'm still trying to find a new obsession. Um, I started watching. I watched Stranger Things. Okay, Have you watched that? I haven't seen it yet. It's cute. Everyone says um, it's really amazing. Yeah, it's not something I would normally watch. Uh, it it definitely has that Spielberg. I like Spielberg. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's you know like a bunch of kids and everything like that. So it's it's absolutely adorable. Like and and it's actually really interesting. Um, it plays a little bit with the science that I'm really into, which is quantum physics. Mm. Yeah, I'm really into quantum physics. I like saying that. It makes me sound smart. <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, read the Stephen Hawking book. Which one? Um, what is it? Something uh, about the universe. It? No, A Brief History of Time. Oh, okay. Yes. I've not read yes. that. It's good. Yeah, I'll, I'll lend it to Okay, you. yes, please. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of math. Oh, math. <laughs> well, oh, you know I don't like math. Yeah, I don't either. But. <laughs> I like science, but I like science that I could like, okay, this makes sense to me. I like reading stuff about the universe. Right. And, um, so Stranger Things kind of plays with that a little bit. And uh, so it's really interesting. Um, and then, you know, I, I started watching The Night Of. Which that was is good. Yeah, right. it was, re- yeah. Uh, a lot of people told me to watch it. So it's really intense. It's kind of one of those things that's like, well, it starts off really intense and it kind of slows down just a little intense. bit. Yeah. The first episode is like, I was like, oh, phew. Right. I don't know if I can get through another couple episodes. Uh, it slows down, but in a good way. You know, like I feel like it lets right. you breathe. And um, it's actually a really interesting look at racism in, in a way that we've never really kind of looked at it as much before mm-hmm. um, when it comes to, you know, um, Middle Eastern and, you know, uh, just kind of what's going on right now with the fear of, you know, certain middle eastern cultures and sure. stuff and and stere- stereotypes and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff um uh yeah i'm watching that it's good it's just it's definitely it's intense yeah, it's one it of those like shows it. yeah hmm. so yeah that's it's like one of those things you got to be ready for when you're watching it not like oh i'm gonna flip yeah. on now oh i'll just watch a night out yeah no it's like yeah. if you want to like veg out yeah. and like watch something mindless don't watch yeah. that <laughs> um but if you want it's very thought provoking i think sure. um it's also it's a very it's a it's a study it's a human study i think um i won't i don't want to talk too much about it because it'll sure. give away a lot of the plot but you really start to dig into uh, a mentality of someone who's in this situation in this like really horrible situation it's part like murder mystery but uh, also a lot of it is just it's a character driven piece and right. I like stuff like that so right. um, once it slows down and kind of focuses more on the characters uh, yeah it's a lot more you can more easily digest it it's good it's mm. it's great yeah um, playing do you, you don't play any 
video games of any sort, do you? No. Okay. Yeah, not a video game person. <laughs> <laughs> the reason we ask is we've had a couple of video game writers. Um, oh yeah. We talked about because that's a thing now. You know. Oh, it's a huge thing. thing. Everyone's so. making TV shows and movies out of video games. Yeah. So. Um, um, and, and also, are I mean, there's them. video game like uh, Neil Druckmann uh, is writing the adaptation of uh, Neil Druckmann, who wrote. Um, the Last of Us. It's a video game, okay. but there's also a lot that goes into video game writing. For Absolutely. a lot of people, that's a like it's a career path. Yeah, yeah. But it's still so new, and then the track to get there is sort of challenging. I'm trying to get more video game writers on. Just that's interesting. Of, yeah, I never yeah. really. I mean, I know that there would have to be video game writers. Um, yeah. Uh, one of my friends' friends, he. I thought this was super interesting. I didn't even really know this existed, but it makes sense. He works for Disney and Universal, and he writes the scripts for the rides. And he creates the scripts. He also helps create some of the rides, I, I believe, through some of the storytelling and stuff hmm. like that, like how it's going right. to all move and, and, and work and everything like that. But, yeah, he writes scripts for uh, theme Those park the rides. things you don't think about when you think you about You never it, right? think about it, but how cool is that? Yeah. It's just such a different career. Yeah, and the whole, I'm sure it's a completely different style of writing. You yeah. Know, like, you know, with budgetary things and structurally, can we make this work? And yeah. there's a lot of technical aspects that you don't even think about when you're sitting totally on the different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and listening. Do you listen to music while you write? Do you listen to um, I do. Uh, I'm a huge music person. Like, mu music is very, um, it's like, um, it makes me feel things. Sure. So, like, I listen to music when I wake up in the morning. Um, I, you, it's usually like meditative music where it's like relaxing or anything, or it's like a beat where it's like, um, I love new Orleans jazz. Oh, I so I'll listen to new yeah. Orleans jazz in the morning. It just kind of like, it gets me excited for the day. Um, and then I'm really big into like hip hop. So I think the world would be a better place if there were more Zydeco music playing. <laughs> what? Wait, what's Zydeco, that? That's part of the new Orleans jazz movement. But you know, when like they have like, uh, uh, someone passes away in, in New Orleans. Oh, and yes. They play the music and yeah. They, you know, that's the other thing I've so been watching festive. is Treme. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been watching Treme, and that's a huge thing that they do during yeah. funerals. They do. I didn't know that's what it was called, yeah, but um, yeah. Um, I love that because I think, like, um, I don't know, it just offers this soulful experience. I mean, when people pass away and funerals and stuff, it's so sad. And right. it's just like, let's honor them and let's celebrate in like a certain way. And music is the way right. I think that, you know, kind of brings us all together and, and just kind of, I don't know, it, it, it enhances moods and it changes moods. Sure, so absolutely. Um, when it comes to writing, I can't write with words. Absolutely. I can't do it. I get so distracted. Right. Sometimes I try, um, but I have my writing playlist on Spotify and it has, a lot of instrumentals, and some of them are part of scores. Sure, um, I hear that a lot. I have a lot of Inception on there. I have a lot of... I hear that um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, really, do you? Yeah, That's so a funny. lot. Uh, Hans I, wonder, Mann, right? I, would, I wonder how many writers have written to Inception, because we hear that a lot. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. Inception's amazing. Yeah. It's just a good everything. Um, and I tell Hans Zimmer, right, I believe, um, and he's... He's amazing. He's, yeah. you know, he's, I think he's Chris Nolan's go-to. Oh, yeah. Because he does, like, The Dark Knight and all that kind yeah, of stuff. I mean, so he's, he's his fantastic. guy. Yeah. yeah, he's amazing. Um, and then uh, The Martian actually has some really great songs. And uh, did think, everyone say that? Well, I think Matt, I think it was Matt. I, somebody just recently said the exact same thing. Good. I'm glad I'm not. Yeah, okay. I'm glad I'm not weird <laughs> okay. or anything where they're like, why? Why right. did you listen to that? Um, and then, yeah, so it's. I'll really like if I'm watching a movie and I and I hear I love scores like 
it gets me so much into the movie. You know, right. it it's honestly what immerses me into storytelling. Um, that's why I use it when I write because it helps me like really kind of like feel lost in the world, but also helps me feel lost when I'm watching movies and mm. TV shows and stuff. So when I hear a you know score, a song, whatever that I like. I'll quickly look up the soundtrack and I'll try to find it and I'll just add it. So I don't necessarily listen to full soundtracks. I pick songs within those movies that I, that actually like um, will make me feel like I'm in that world. Um, The other one is Oblivion. Actually. I love the songs to Oblivion. Uh, Is that Tom Cruise movies? Sci-fi. It was like a post-apocalyptic kind of thing. It was kind of a strange movie. I was thinking the video game Oblivion. I'm like, hmm. Maybe maybe the movie was based on it. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's a fantasy video game. So it's kind of fantasy. Are you sure? (laughs) Pretty sure. (laughs) (laughs) I believe you. I trust you. No, the Oblivion game I think was back in like the late '90s, early 2000s. I think something like that. So that's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll believe you, I'll trust you. Um, lastly, do you have any advice for the other than the hour and a half of advice you've oh given? God, it's an hour and a half. Um, Sorry. No, Everyone's no. probably stopped listening. No, then. they have it. I'm sure. It's um, fine. It's fine. I would have. Um, do you have any advice for aspiring writers out there? Or is there anything you want to share? Um, God, I'm still getting advice. <laughs> so um, I guess. One one of the things I can say, I feel like I have given a lot of advice. Um, something that I'm figuring out right now in my own life is kind of what we've already discussed. It's There's a quote that says, feel the fear and do it anyway. And I love that because so many times we run away from fear, right? But we all feel it. And I think so many times we don't realize that fear is the thing that's holding us backward sabotaging ourselves that's what procrastination is that's what writer's block really is it's that fear that what we put down on paper what we put down on that computer is not going to be good enough or that we're going to get rejected someone's not going to like what we do or we're going to fail or even we're going to succeed and we're not going to be able to handle it or we're going to succeed and it's going to be a one-time thing and we're going to be a one-hit wonder all those self-doubts all those fears whatever is really I think what people don't realize can be significantly holding them back and I think it's so important to take a step back from yourself really kind of see like is this me like am I so scared that I'm not going to be good enough that it's holding me back from saying yes to opportunities um, writing you know just getting work out there Um, once you can acknowledge that that's a thing and not be afraid of it, accept it and go, okay, I'm I'm fucking scared. And am I allowed to say fucking? Yes. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You just did. I've actually, oh, you're going to bleep it? No. Um, just acknowledge that you're, you're, you're scared and what you're scared of, feel it, accept it and do it anyway. Just say yes to things. Right. Just right. Actually, you know what? Get excited about failing. Get excited about looking awkward. Get excited about being rejected because if you don't see those as good things that can help you in your growth and, you know, as a person and in your career and everything and help you get better, those are going to be the things that I think are going to hold you back. And that's what I'm realizing about myself right now is that for so many years, I was scared. I'm, I mean, I'm scared of everything, like for real. <laughs> like I'm terrified of everything. Like I'm a big scary cat. Um, so I know when I talk about fear, but it's just recently that I started really realizing that I think it's holding me back from a lot of things. Like I don't say yes to things. I don't take opportunities when they're offered to me. Um, 
So when I start to start to feel scared, uh, you know, I just feel it and I just fucking do it anyway, you know? So that would be my advice. Nice. That's good advice. Push through it. You yeah. know, I think it'll knock down a lot of blocks. Yeah. Um, do you have social media? You have Instagram, Twitter, anything like that? Um, yeah, Instagram. Twitter I have, but I'm not going to lie. I don't really use it. Okay. Um, well, we'll get those links and we'll put them up. Yeah. Uh, on the site. Well, thanks for coming on the show and chatting with us today, Ashley. Thank you it's for having awesome. me. It's been so much fun. Yeah, it's been awesome. And for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. And you can tweet us to at scriptscribes. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.